Hello and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on the topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Nikita, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Noah Tile. Today we will be discussing the success of integrative mental health approaches for students. Let's get into today's conversation. It'd be nice to start off with an introduction of who you are and what you're doing here uh, for our audience. So I am a a registered psychotherapist in private practice, specializing in uh, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, and student life uh, in general. So that involves the integration of mental health with executive function support for people that have issues around school and time management and organization and impulsivity and planning and prioritizing and how that is affected by mental health and how mental mental health uh, contributes and how working on mental health as well as those skills together can really create better flourishing for students. Um, And also I work a lot both in the international community and on a personal level um, in the faith and mental health world. I'm a rabbi. I'm very involved in Jewish education as well as education um, in supporting really good practices to allow for mental health to be at the most optimal level uh, in religious communities. So that's kind of what I'm up to. And then I, I run Resolve, which is a student mental health um, uh, clinic that's focused on this integrative support that I was talking to you about, which has involved student uh, mental health, academic success, and personal growth, finding your place, your direction, finding a sense of purpose and meaning, defining who you are and who you want to be, which is very, very important for people at the student age when they're coming of age. Yes, definitely. That sounds amazing. You do a lot. Um, So for our audience, could you just explain what Resolve is and how it's distinguished differently from other mental health programs or resources? So so I think there's two main factors that make Resolve attractive and and why we are, you know, doing well and, and growing. Number one is that the therapists really understand the student life. So what what that really means is that sometimes, especially in universities uh, at York, for example, they have something called health and wellness. Then they have accessibility services. And then they they might have like the career development center, but they're all treated separately and differently. So if you want to help in in accessibility, either you have to be registered with accessibility, maybe you can go to a workshop and learn about some skills and strategies to do better in school and to increase your productivity. Um, but there's all these separate disparate offices. And I think that what's attractive for Resolve is that we say that these therapists are registered. They're they're mental health professionals, but they have specific training in being able to integrate things that you might find at the career development center and things that you might find with an academic coach so that we see it more holistically. So if someone, for example, is struggling with anxiety um, or is struggling, sorry, with their academic performance, and they mentioned that they can't focus and they need help and tips and strategies to improve um, their concentration and their ability to delay gratification and, and reduce distractions, which is really hard. Without understanding mental health, you might be able to provide some strategies, but maybe there's an underlying anxiety going on that makes you really distracted. And so if you learn how to deal with anxiety in addition to Uh, the executive function challenges that are on the surface and you do both of those at the same time, it just makes you more likely to be able to help somebody. So I think that integrative approach is really important. And the other part is that it's lower cost. So 
um, there's obviously free services in universities, and sometimes those can be really good. Other times, not as uh, not as long term, and they might have to be more, you know, a, a couple sessions or or it, there's a lot of over um, uh, turnover, and you have to change therapists. It's just for some people that's all that they can do. But if if you're on university, many schools have coverage, and what we try to do is make therapy in a private setting, so it's still private. You're still paying more affordable. So our typical session is $100 with taxes. In the private world, that's actually very low low cost. There's much more expensive therapies. What that allows you, for example, if you're a student at York and you have $1,000 of coverage, that gets you 10 sessions in addition to whatever you would already be getting from the health and wellness center. Our goal is to make lower cost private therapy available and accessible without wait times. And we also have a psychiatry collaboration so people that work with us actually can help get access to psychiatrists um, that are part of your become part of your care team so i think the cost is one of them we also have student trainees so that allows us to make it lower uh 30 a session so there's options and we just basically want to make integrative and low cost therapy available for the student population but also we have a lot of non-students that have similar issues that students might be dealing with and we work with those as well Wow, that's really great. Uh, do you work specifically in a certain age range? And is it all online? Or is it also in person? How does it work? So the age range typically is around, I would say, like 13 to 25. So from a marketing standpoint, to be student mental health can mean different things. Um, so but the therapists are really qualified to be working with both age groups. There's a little bit of difference. I think that the lower age groups, 13, 14, 15, 16, even, more parental involvement. Sometimes you're actually working with the parents as well to help things in the environment and, and to, to work with with the team of, of the family in improving the mental health. And as they get older, there's more independence. Um, but I think that the, the key thing is that th those age groups are, are available and being worked on. And I would say in terms of the uh, second part of your question, which is about the online versus in-person. So right now, there really isn't much demand, if at all for in-person therapy. So from a business standpoint, what's so great about Resolve is that we keep the costs lower because we don't have to invest in office space and all of that other stuff right now. So I think that there's always going to be a, a certain subset of people that want in-person therapy no matter what. But we have found that, that the vast majority of people prefer the online platform because it's available right away. They don't have, they can integrate it with their schedule without having to travel. You can focus on finding the right therapist as opposed to finding the right location, which is always better. And sometimes it can take upwards of a half an hour to an hour just to get to an appointment than to go back. It ends up being three to three and a half hours of the day, as opposed to being able to go what I do with students and what so many of our therapists is that person gets a little room in the library or they find a quiet space and it's not disrupting their regular schedule. Plus, we do a lot of screen time and assistive technologies. We help people with their calendars. We do some a lot of organizational systems and tools, which make it really easy on a screen share um, platform that we can do screen share and do things together, looking at the same thing. So we think that the online model is very helpful, whether or not there's a demand for in-person, well, I guess we'll have to see. But right now, from a financial standpoint, from a business standpoint, and from a needs standpoint, it doesn't seem uh, that important.
Yeah, that's a great point. There's a big emphasis now on accessibility for mental health tools and the idea that, oh, you should be looking for the right therapist and not just the right location is super important. So I think it's great that, you know, it's mostly online accessible and you're able to do so many things like that. So what really inspired you to establish Resolve and what are the gaps in the mental health field that you were aiming to address? What inspired me? So I, I just, I do a lot of private practice work and I get a, it's a it's very meaningful, um, but I want to be doing different things with my time. And I think that for me, I I just don't want to be doing one thing only. I want to learn to diversify how I spend my time, so I get to have business meetings. I get to do other kinds of things. I get to mentor some of the therapists myself. Lots of different opportunities to engage, and that's and I just noticed that really, um, the people that I was working with were looking for this integrative approach. And I only have limited space in my practice to be able to help. And I thought, well, why not just expand, um, have a certain type of brand or certain type of feel of these therapists, which are integrative and make that more scalable outside of just my private practice. Um, I think that there, unfortunately, there's a few gaps in the mental health educational world. I think two main ones. One is a lack of access to mental health skills. So not every mental health problem can be reduced to a lack of skills, but many problems can be reduced in the severity as well as the need for long-term therapy. If at a younger age, people learned how to take care of themselves from a mental health standpoint, uh, all sorts of things around thinking, emotions, uh, how to deal with them, how to deal with intrusive thoughts, how to regulate what you're feeling how to improve well-being, increase a sense of meaning and purpose, all of these kind of things that we do, uh, how to face fears, how to deal with anxiety, how to work through depression. Um, a, a preventative approach deals with things before they become an issue and it equips people with tools so that they can handle things if there's, God forbid, things that are going on in their life that are really hard. And I think that part of the work that we're trying to do with, we have podcasts and we have um, educational materials and we're working on courses to that stuff out there at an earlier age. Um, but also because I want specific student mental health support that I think is very tailored that I don't see as much. I think students need to be engaged with about meaning and about community and purpose. And what does that mean? And what does it mean to contribute? What does it mean to be responsible in this world? What does it mean to, to, to deal with, um, trying to find and search for these things. I don't think that the school systems per se, or just generally that we're creating purpose-driven people. Um, I think there's a lot of issues with that. I think we're not tethered to communities the way we used to be. We've always grown up in communities. Communities amplify our sense of identity and we can, of course, that sometimes people get lost then in the group identity and they lose their sense of self. And I think it's important to have a sense of self but people are rootless today. Many people's families have come from all parts of the world and they're trying to hold on to their values, whether that's cultural or religious. These area, these were ma major structures of meaning and purpose. And I personally think it's very sad that students, like what, what story are they a part of? What's their life about? What's the narrative that they're living? Is it just, I need to go to school to, what is it? What, why are you alive? What are you doing with your, what does life mean to you? What community structures do you want to be a part of? Do you want to create, you know, um, different organizations or groups? Do you, like, what do you care about? I think that these questions are not discussed. And I think that they are a mental health thing. Um, 
because uh, I, I do believe that there is a lack, a, a, a fundamental lack of community and meaning in our society. And I think those are interconnected. And so uh, we're trying to, as best as we can address that, we have like peer support groups and things like that, but also just to encourage people to discover and search for and find meaning, not just like work on mental health, like how do I feel less anxious? How do I work on my mood? That's important. But the biggest question you can ask is, what story am I a part of? What 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 is what is the structure that makes my life meaningful in all areas of my life, from my career to my family to my relationships to my hobbies? What what sort of meta um, so sources and structures of meaning can I implement and be a part of to make life more meaningful? And I think we're thinking about that at Resolve a lot as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point to bring up. And I think that's where the integrative approach really thrives on this idea that you need to take care of all aspects of a person's life and their mental health and everything to actually solve the issue. Um, I definitely agree, though, there is a lack of community and a lack of meaning. A lot of people nowadays, they're going through the educational um, you know, the educational journey just because they have to. Oh, I have to get this degree to get a good job. Oh, I have to go to grad school so I can get paid well. So it's really just they're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because, oh, I feel like this is the only way to go. And this is like my only chance at success. So I definitely agree with you there. There is a big need for uh, more emphasis on community and finding that space. Could you highlight some of the challenges that you see students commonly face? And how does Resolve's approach effectively address these in a way that traditional therapy might not? So I would say, first of all, that... that um we're definitely um, not doing any hocus pocus. So definitely traditional um, therapy in the sense of, I would say more evidence-based therapies. Not that everything can be reduced to that human relationships, <laughs> why people go to therapy, what they get out of it sometimes can't be measured as much uh, or as well. Um, but, but I, I, it's really, it's just really about, uh, I think the, I think it can be summed up in this because we, we've talked about some of it, but I think it can be summed up in, Nothing is beneath the therapist. So sometimes a therapy session looks like this. I'm on Indeed with a client. I'm helping them with their resume while talking about the resistance and the anxiety that comes up when they look at a resume. So I'm not saying, let's talk about your anxiety about resumes or let's talk about your anxiety about getting into the workforce without practical action. So... I'm not saying, oh, it's not, I'm I'm a therapist. I shouldn't be doing, no, no, I want to. Obviously I'm not doing things I'm not qualified for. I'm not doing people's taxes. I'm not, I mean, yeah. I'm helping people organize things that can help them have better ability to track taxes possibly, or to track expenses like with organizational tools, but I'm not doing things that I'm not qualified to do, but I'm doing things that are I'm in the weeds. We're in the weeds as therapists there. We're not saying we need to talk about things that are more deeper or bigger Anything can be therapeutically beneficial if if it's within serving the greater purpose of them being the people that they want to be in their life from a social, relational, personal perspective. So that's why I, I might be in a session helping people format their resume and create good resumes, which you might go to the career center for, while I'm saying, what's coming up for you while you're doing that? What, where's the resistance? What, what, what When you see that word like operated on this, uh, you know, worked in that, like, what, why are you so scared of doing a resume? Are you scared to be judged? Are you scared of about being rejected? So it's kind of this, 
integrative approach that says it's all important. And we're, as long as we're qualified, we're, we're not going to delegate that and say, okay, you're going to go work on the resume later. If we think it's therapeutically beneficial for you to work on the resume and deal with your anxiety as it's happening, we're going to do that in the session. If you're scared to send emails to your professors to do outreach, because you're worried about judgment, saying the wrong thing, you overthink an email, we're going to help you compose that email while dealing with what comes up. If that makes sense. That's, I think that would summarize how we do no, things yeah, absolutely. maybe a bit differently. It's it's like coaching and therapy all at once. If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. No, I think it's, it's helpful for a lot of people to actually work through that along with somebody rather than trying to do it on their own after maybe getting advice or like ways to work through it. So I can definitely see how that might be more helpful for some people. Um, just going back to the first part, is there anything that you often see a lot from students coming in like, oh, these are common problems or stressors that they seem to have um, regarding, you know, education or anything like that? I think the major themes that I'm noticing with the students, and I'm in, again, I mentioned I'm in different fields, so I work mm -hmm. a lot with adults as well, and OCD is a whole planet, and these are all different worlds, but for the most part, it's a few things. One, people are more distracted than they ever have been, um, and I have to work with them, not just on reducing that, but like having interventions like screen time protection apps that they can't control and turn off. It's all... This generation is has lost the ability to slow down and be deliberate and mm -hmm. not just be constantly in receiving gratification instantly. And they use a lot of language like I can't change or, I, I, you know, I'm just like there's no there's such little commitment. There's such mm -hmm. little responsibility and buy in and loyalty to work on things. There's too much of it's too much overwhelming. And, and I think that what I do with people sometimes is I, in the most gentle, compassionate way I can is say, you could do way more. Like, don't, don't self-impose these things on, on you that you just need to be this way. I think people come in with a learned helplessness. They think that the, things are just the way they are and they can't change it. And I work so hard with trying to help people deepen their commitment muscle to watch them use language to bind them to do something and then do it and follow through. And then they see, wow, like I can do things that I thought I couldn't do. And we do that slowly. We work on that. So I think people's lack of commitment, mm -hmm. lack of focus is, is huge and lack of meaning. Just what is this all? What is going on? And I think people are, unfortunately, you know, it's so hard to define in like few words. And I think there's right. so many multiple factors to it, but I think a lack of meaning, a lack of focus are, 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 are some of the big ones and, you know, and a lack of commitment. And so my job with people is to help them commit to the life they want to live, feel accountable to that, and then help them deal with the mental health stuff that comes up when they commit. So instead of getting to, why aren't they getting out of bed every day? Mm -hmm. Why are they every day not getting out of bed at nine o'clock to get to their class for 10. I say, let's commit. Let, I mean, we work on it. We do some ambivalence work, but we get to the point where they actually commit. I'm getting up and they maybe say, I can only do that twice a week. Let me start with twice. Mm -hmm. They follow through. And then the days that they follow through, they learn, wow, when I did that, this is what came up. I noticed that when I got out of the bed, my brain said, you don't want to get out of bed. Don't do it. And then we work through the issues that came up, but we do that with change. You first change and then you learn how to deal with what comes up in difficulty. So those are some of the issues that I, 
I think I, I've seen a lot of in the student population. Right. And and not in, in the most non-shaming way. We talk about it. We talk about it because they, they, there's been a lot of self-imposed limitations that mm -hmm. they've set on themselves. And that doesn't mean that that's not the it's not the case that you can just change it. There are you can't like sometimes there are limits. People have social limits. People have limits in terms of financial opportunities. People have there's inequalities. There's lots of things. But within everybody's particular situation, there are things that they can do to improve. And uh, it's not a be all and end all therapy, you know, and, and there's it's not but we can work on what we can work on. And, and that's what I, I try to do with people. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've noticed that there is a growing, growing, like cynic, cynical vibe going on, you know, as students are growing up, people really feel trapped in like their negative behaviors. And they're like, Oh, I can't change this. I can't do that. Because that's kind of what they see around them. So it's, it's great to be able to know that there is a way to work through that. And, you know, get motivated, start small, keep building up. That's awesome. So I'll tell you, people are addicted. I'm going to be very <laughs> yeah. honest with you. People yeah. are struggling with multiple hours on social media. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a cliche at this point, but I, every conversation, it's about the third conversation, at least by the second, I'm looking at their screen time and they say, yeah, I'm spending about six out five, six hours a day um, doing things that I don't really value. Yeah. I'm like, interesting. So five hours a day times seven, you go do the math and you're like, wow, of course people feel terrible about themselves. Mm -hmm. Not only because of this, but when you start to be more, create more value and you do things that you care about that delay gratification, you feel much better in the long run. No, yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes I catch myself doing things that I'm just like, I've been doing this for hours. Why Don't am worry, I doing me this? too. There's no point to it. You're just scrolling endlessly. And I'm like, this is not even worth my time. I could be doing something way better. But yeah. I don't know. It's just that addictive like gratification component that is so hard to escape. But it's really important that we focus on this, especially for the next generation and their focus, their their what's it called? Their, you know, attention span mm. is decreasing. They do need um more um, tools to help them delay gratification and all this stuff for sure so personally what do you see as like next crucial steps for improving mental health care specifically for students like what would be yeah. some important tools to add I think one what we were just alluding to is um, rigorous screen time technology that helps people live with their values because mm -hmm. it's like telling people when there's a pack of cigarettes beside them that they're addicted to stop smoking. Um, utilizing assistive technologies is huge. Um, utilizing a lot of skill-based stuff because not everybody can do long-term therapy. Most mm -hmm. people cannot do long-term therapy. So we want to, we want to start teaching and I don't think you need to create curriculums in schools. I think teachers can learn through like training materials and, and let's, let's say once a month, one teacher can be going through a bunch of skills and teaching students skills once every couple of weeks for half an hour throughout another existing course so that kids don't do it when they're in an assembly and they have to do it at lunchtime and they're already annoyed that they have to do it at lunchtime. And it's a once, you know, it's a, it's a once in a three yeah. month project, there should be ongoing education and learning and discussion and openness, but I think it should be already in already existing structures so as to not create more burden on students to be in class for longer. Mm -hmm. they're, already, they're already in class for long enough. Um, so those are, those are some things that, that are important. 
No, yeah, I definitely agree. These should be integrated kind of at, into the education system, especially early on. Even like, what would you recommend? Like, what's a good age to start? What do you think? Like, is it right from kindergarten um, or grade one, two? I think it's right from the, I think it can go right from kindergarten because, but in using, and once you build up, it's like building mm -hmm. a language. Yeah. That when they get to 10 or 12, they already know a lot of the basic language. Um. And they and they can work through it and then have more sophisticated ways of understanding. I think the earlier, the better. I mean, that's not directly what Resolve is doing because we're not that mm -hmm. in that yeah. young. But I think there's people working on SEL, social emotional learning. I hope it's practical. I hope it's empowering. I don't know about the quality of all of it, and mm -hmm. but but I think the earlier the better. And do you think there'd be any way, kind of, to involve tools? with parents and other things like that because that's where it starts you know that's a great idea um i think parents should be yeah doing a lot of education and learning uh, and and the good thing is is that all of this stuff there's lots of re like people it's it's not so complicated to, mm -hmm. like, there there are complicated theoretical underpinnings of a lot of mental health but there's a lot you can learn in simple language that then you can mirror and practice mm -hmm. with your with your child. Um, um, yeah, I think that that's really, really important. And and that involves a combination of balancing boundaries and discipline with children, as well as openness and the ability to openly express their feelings and compassion. And it's, it's a whole other world parenting, but mm -hmm. I think parenting is really important. I'm a, a, a father of two trying my best as well. So, um, but yeah. Uh, so if you're okay with answering this, actually, so is there anything specific that you employ with your kids kind of to like uh, prevent these issues from happening in the future for them or? I'd say there's two things. One is that my, so my children are uh, two years old in four <laughs> months. So it's a little early. <laughs> yeah. um, but what's important for me is to understand that to regulate those, like when I'm feeling frustrated, mm -hmm. I, there's no, and I'm learning from different perspectives from both like secular mental health and, you know, my tradition is a lot to say on, you know, parenting and being a good parent. And I try to integrate all of it and they're all connected. But anyway, mm -hmm. it's, it's important to, to at that age, they can't properly hear the limits and boundaries. So if I'm don't want them to do something, like I'll try sometimes, but I might just pick them up and move them away. <laughs> and, and, and there's no need, like there's no, there's so no need for so many like when you're just frustrated, it's like getting mad at a rock for mm -hmm. existing. It's not the right approach. So I, I think at a young age, starting to regulate my own emotions helps them and allow them to feel like when they're going through it, we just open, br bring it and let them let them fully feel what they're feeling. The other thing, though, I think this is more important because I'm not a parenting expert, so you can ask parenting experts, is to stop. A lot of parents are worried, oh my gosh, I'm going to do that thing and God forbid to traumatize my kid. Mm -hmm. You can't live like that. Like, it's yeah. just not how people are. People are resilient. It's not, oh, I said that one invalidating thing when they were four and now they have to be stuck in prison forever um, and they're never going to see the world the same again. And, and I don't like that approach. I think that it's so important to be responsible, to be the most careful with your words that you can be, to be a caring and loving parent. If you make a mistake, just own it and say, I'm sorry. Make sure that the child understands that that was wrong and keep going because the kid's going to keep going. They're not irrever irrevocably damaged forever. Um, and I know that and I and I can't get into individual details. Sometimes there are that whatever. In general, I think parents just need to be yeah. a little bit more. It's OK. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're, and that means for them, when they're going through, if they're doing deeper processing in the past, maybe they can figure out why they are the way they are, but A, they don't have access to all their memories. So even mm-hmm. if they think the reason why I'm like this today, first of all, you should stop doing what you need to stop doing, no matter what, if you know the reason or not. If you know that you were yelled at at a young age, therefore you have this tendency to yell at other people, you can work on stopping the yelling anyway. Yeah. And then discovering, oh, wow, when I was younger, these things happened. But being more curious and open as opposed to being like, okay, then I can never do that again. And that was the only reason I am the way I am. Um, I just think flexibility as a parent mm-hmm. um, and less pre- intense pressure to get everything right would probably be, be good. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us and telling us about a bit about Resolve and their approach and even about parenting and all of this, these approaches. It sounds really great. It's great to learn about um, this integrative approach to mental health because honestly, I didn't really hear much about this otherwise. Like I've heard integrative approach before, but I've never actually seen it put in practice. So to see Resolve doing that in different forms, you know, academic coaching, all this stuff, I know, especially for me, it would have helped out a lot when I was younger too. And going through similar things like I had a lot of um, anxiety about school or my future I used to like um, worry about it too much I was like oh no if I don't do this exact thing or if I don't do good on this exact thing I'm going to fail for the rest of my life so all this kind of just just catastrophizing you know (laughs) all that stuff so it's great to see this stuff kind of building up and coming out um i'm not sure if there are other programs similar to this but this is the first one that i've seen so it's fantastic and it's good to know that there are tools that can be employed in the future in education early on to help students with this stuff yeah it's wonderful so thank you so much for joining us you've reached the end of this episode with the trauma and mental health report podcast Thanks for joining us. Connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, X, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you at the next episode.